Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, joined from my usual <laughs> Capiche crew. Well, usual, I say. We've actually got a kind of d- different dynamic. We've got Steve McCall. A very good evening to you. This is odd for a Thursday. I'm yeah, not used to this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's been a wee while. And Scott Armour. Hi. And the trademark boring response is back. <laughs> and, I love that. Yeah. The Alan Sheeran podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Gordon Webster. Good evening, Mr. Barry and friends. Yep, yep. Uh, that's that's the new name of the podcast, actually. Thanks. Uh, yep, uh, we're here, of course, for another bite-sized short episode, just going over our usual kind of lockdown film and TV catch-ups or anything else that's been going on since our last update. Uh, who should we start with? Steve, start with you. What's What's been going on? Go on, then. Um, it's been a regular, a fairly regular couple of weeks, working away uh, as per... What have I been watching? Um, you know how, I mean, everyone has got that kind of um, comfort blanket, if you like, film or TV show, that if they're feeling sort of bored or down or whatever, that they just kind of, you've probably seen it hundreds of thousands of times, but you'll just go back and watch it anyway. Um, I kind of fell into that a couple of weeks ago. So mine is a TV series from a few years back called The Newsroom by Aaron Sorkin, who did um, obviously The West Wing and The Social Network. Um, which is odd, I know. It's a bit of a busman's holiday watching a TV series that's based entirely in a newsroom about a news team. But it's kind of it's kind of both a busman's holiday and a kind of escape from reality at the same time. Because in a sense it's relatively ridiculous. Yeah. Um so I will I will go into raptures about that at some point. And there's a couple of other documentaries that I have been watching, which I'll also go into once yeah. I've discovered how my respective uh, podcast colleagues have been doing it themselves. Yeah, uh, Aaron Sorkin stuff. Obviously, I'm quite a fan of the West Wing. So, um, I mean, yeah. have, you, have you watched the West Wing? I've not, but I now really yeah. want to because I've seen. I've seen. Obviously, I've, I've binged the newsroom hundreds of times. I've watched uh, the Social Network, right. which I've enjoyed both of. So, it kind of it's it would kind of complete the trilogy to watch the West Wing. So, I'm genuinely genuinely intrigued by it i love it i mean it's 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 probably dated from the point of view that it is so far away from the type of american politics that we've got in real life just now like it's you'd have to kind of view it now with a sort of weird it's like a parallel universe and what how politics when it's treated done rightly this is how it could be like the actual characters do care about their policies they do care about trying to do the right thing very intellectual people all having really intellectual conversations um but it does seem so distant now from what we've it seems like we've got that that Hmm. seems like a theme of his almost because similarly with the newsroom because it's i mean it's obviously it's a fictional drama but it's based around real news stories and a lot of the feedback i mean american journalists for example hate it because they see it as smug because it's kind of it's a sort of rose-tinted view if you like of how these real-life news stories should have been covered by the American networks at the time, and because it's been done retroactively, um, it does have that appearance of this is how it should have been done had it been done properly, but all these other networks didn't, etc. Um, so that that seems to be kind of an Aaron Sorkin thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, do they do the walk and talk? That's a famous Aaron Sorkin thing. The sort of in- 
two people like what the West it's maybe just a West Wing thing, but I don't know if the social network did it, where essentially it's people having conversations and the sort of walking down a corridor, one person finishes halfway through a sentence and another person joins, they start a new conversation. Camera's doing a sort of backing thing. It's like it looks like a nightmare to film, but it's really <laughs> fun to watch. Like it's quite cool. I don't know if that's in that at all, maybe it's just a West Wing thing. Uh, I think I've, I've I think I've seen that kind of in action almost as something. There's, there are there are similar kind of walking talking. There's a lot of it's sort of very sort of fast paced uh-huh. conversation. Um, people all over the place. There's a lot of sort of people scripting, sort of talking over each other, um, but done kind of as a device. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's obviously just particularly good at scripting conversation, I suppose, and doing it in a way that's not just two people standing or sitting still talking which is i suppose relatively easy yeah he's a he's a great writer um he's certainly quite self-indulgent he loves his own writing he's famous for kind of sort of i think when he he's only done a, a few films directed but he is famous for during the west wing sort of getting on it cast for changing the scripts like no 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 that's what i wrote <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah uh fantastic yeah i'll need to actually i do want to watch that what have you been watching it on is it on uh, it's not that's it i don't I haven't found it on any streaming services i still own it on dvd which i think is why i can ah. kind of which is why i go back to it every so often it's just it's within easy reach yeah um it's an hbo series so if it's on anything it's probably on now tv yeah. over here because yeah. that's where most of that stuff seems to end up some of them sort of I'll sky related i'll need to get that okay we'll maybe come back to you then if we've got time obviously we'll uh <clears throat> come to scott what's been going on what you've been up to um well <clears throat> not a lot because um just for coming on man oh thanks <laughs> uh well, I'm kind of uh, in the process of raising my youth. Oh, so you're, you're uh, going to use that every time. Eh? I mean, you, only, you can only use that twice. That's that's Abs- Absolutely. And <laughs> uh, that said, youth is now beginning to crawl, which is the point where a lot of people say this is where uh, this is where it starts to get fun. Mm. Um, and, so, some uh, some would say you're not you're not saying that. Yeah. Uh, no. Because moments where you kind of want to sit down and watch a game of football or play the PS4 or even watch a, even have your dinner, actually, mm. uh, you're trying to um, stop your child crawling in between the TV and behind the TV. So, yeah. aye, aye. Inconsiderate um, child. Absolutely. How dare she? Um, but no, uh, so I think it's been two weeks since the last uh, cast that came on, so... And I think the last one I'd mentioned about playing uh, Ghosts of Tsushima on mm. the PS4. Um, I'm still playing it. I'm absolutely loving it. Um, still holds up you... then? Still holding up? Still good? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a kind of... It's getting compared to, to different sort of open world games. Getting compared to the likes of Red Dead 2, um, Assassin's Creed games like that. And I think it's doing a, a disservice because it's saying that, well, there's, there's so much more content and, and things to find in the world of Red Dead, which is absolutely true. But Ghosts of Yushima is a, a, it's just a totally different game. It's almost a game where there is intense violence. However, there's moments where it's pure peace and tranquility. For example, you have to find, they call it haiku spots, or haiku, I think it's called. And basically, you you write a poem <laughs> and you, ref- you reflect on uh, the war, you reflect on your family and you, you create it. And it, it, honestly, at times it's, it's like a, it's like a calming app. 
Are you actually creating it, or is it the game is kind of giving you a selection of a couple? Well, of it lines? gives you a selection. Right, aye, aye. Aye, it gives you a selection, but it's just it's it's quite nice where you can actually think of the words. Does that make sense? Like some mm. people might just think, "Oh, this is just gimmicky." Uh, you know, let's just barge through this just so I can get a, a specific headband for him to wear, which is again just aesthetics. But I don't know, some something. Just, again, the thing that strikes me the most at these sort of sequences is the visuals. The visuals are absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, and and again, even just even just exploring the world, silly wee things like you find a fox, then you follow a fox to a shrine, you honour that shrine, and then you can pet a fox. <laughs> it's, it's it's certainly it's, different. I, I mean, I've not been keeping up with modern games really. I'm sounding really old saying that, but I haven't been buying a lot of them, so I'm not sure what if that's taken from something else, if it's derivative or not. But that sounds very different from the, the sort of games from the last generation that I've played. It's totally different. Yeah, yeah. and again, as I say, they, they focus on they focus on nature to sort of guide you through the island. So, for example, the standard. You know, mini map in the corner where it would be so busy with with icons and your next marker. The wind actually guides you to the marker, mm-hmm. and birds will fly down. And if you see a, for example, a specific golden bird, if you follow that bird, it will take you to a, a place of interest, mm-hmm. rather than a you know a, a marker and then something on the actual screen you know directing you where to go. For example, it's it's such an interesting game, um, and as I say, I think judging it. On or comparing it to Red Dead and stuff like that, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges. Totally different, totally different type of game. Um, so yeah, still playing that, uh, and I kind of don't want to complete it if that makes sense. Because mm, it's one of these, it's one of these games where I know if I complete it, obviously that's it. I won't play it, and I've pretty much done most of the stuff anyway. Um, but I, I'm kind of holding on just to, you know, just to get that last wee last wee bit out of the game. You never buy downloadable content, do you, for games? Uh, there's nothing yet for Ghost of Tsushima, but no, I probably don't fall into that trap, to be honest, or, or that uh, bracket of gamers where I get DLC. Oh, well then. Missing out. You might. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I can't say. I mean, I've only got, I've only played pretty much Mortal Kombat games and Resident Evil games for the, in the, the last five yeah. years or something. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so, yeah, so, other than that, so, yeah, I've watched the film. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called Good Boys. Uh, it's on Sky. No, um, it's it's kind of. Is it a new film? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. It was. I think it was out twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. It must have been twenty nineteen if it was on Sky recently as a premiere. Quite um, different from Bad Boys, I take it. It certainly is. It's following. I think there's supposed to be twelve in it. Um, so it's following following a, a three young boys that are just going into sixth grade, uh, an American uh, sort of school system. Uh, it's one of these films where it's extremely crude. Uh, they play on the um, naivety of the young boys. So, for, ex- for example, one of the boys thinks it's a, his mum and dad's CPR doll, but actually, it's the most state of the art sex doll you'll ever see. He, but he asks his friends up to the, his house and he goes, oh look, my mum and dad have got a swing in their own room but uh, it's actually a, a sex swing <laughs> you know, it's things like that so there's, there's mo- there is moments in it where it's kind of like you know, it's kind of that on the edge humour but you're kind of still talking about young children 
and it's almost over sexualizing situations that these young kids probably just wouldn't really be in in real life does that make sense or talking about in real life so for example like i mean what age are oh, they i think they're, i think they're rather well, young i mean they're, they're, i think they're supposed to be around about maybe 11 or 12 oh, right. uh, and it's references to like you know masturbating and all that kind of stuff and um i think it, it is meant to be that shock humor um it feels kind of dated it feels like the sort of thing you'd have got in the early 2000s yeah it's, yeah, it's 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 kind of like that. It's it's kind of like a Judd Apatow film, but except that rather than rather than the washed out twenty five somethings, they've just used young kids. Jacob Tremblay's in it to give context in terms of the age. So he's obviously a he's obviously a young boy. Um, uh, it's all right. There's moments in it where it's quite endearing. Uh, it's essentially all about the the three boys, and uh, they all get split up. And you know, it's one of these things where it's like the whole want to go their own way because they're all grown up and that you know and then at the end of the film they all come back and it, i don't know it was okay it was okay it was worth a watch but some of the humor was just probably a wee bit on the nose and mm, i don't know maybe it didn't really land the way it should have yeah all right cool gordon what's been happening well i've not been playing games i've not been watching a lot of tv Apart from the news, apart from, well, I've been watching a lot of snooker because the World Championships have started mm. delayed, of course, and I'm getting more and more into snooker. That's, that's, it's nice and relaxing, same as same as golf, you know, live on TV. If I'm ever watching that, it's just, you know, just to relax, really. I suppose it's, well, Scott, you can probably vouch for it. it. Football, watching your football team can be the opposite of that. <laughs> Yeah, it can be. It can be slightly at times. This feels like it's a knowing reference to maybe tonight's events. Yeah, no, tonight. <laughs> I would probably say tonight was probably the most calm because you're fully expecting to get beat, yeah. uh, and you've got zero expectations. In fact, almost kind of wanting to get beat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, cool. I watched. Um, well, just one film this time. Oh, well, this this is probably a good one to bring up, Scott. Actually, because. Um, Good Boys sounds like similar kind of themes. The Last Picture Show is from 1971, totally in black and white. It's a period drama and it's set in the 50s, actually. And it's directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Um, stars a young Jeff Bridges, one, I think one of his earliest acting roles. Uh, the first acting over Sybil Shepherd, who you might remember from Taxi Driver. Um, Timothy Bottoms, I don't know if you heard of him. Uh, any of you guys I've heard of or seen or seen them? Um, I haven't heard of the film. The last no. Show. no, can't say I have. I mean, I feel like I've read about it somewhere in Empire, probably, um, but I have not seen it and I wouldn't be able to... I don't know if I've seen many Peter Bogdanovich films, now that I think about it. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've seen any until I saw that. And it's interesting, right? It's uh, Well, it's kind of a coming-of-age sort of drama. Mm. It's about... Um, I think a few, mainly these two guys, Jeff Bridges and Timothy Bottoms, as they finished school and they're getting to like going to college or whatever they do career wise. And I suppose similar in a way to like some of the the teen films you got in the early two thousands, American Pie and stuff like that. It felt like so much of it was just, um, especially knowing now that Peter Bogdanovich was actually in a relationship with Sybil Shepherd, and this was her actually her like I mentioned her first um, film. It was like it was. It was arranged just to see her taking her clothes off as much as possible. Like so much of it seemed to. There was a lot of sex in the film, and it was. It got to the point it was getting a bit too predictable, but it was like everything was kind of tailored around her 
to, you know, I don't know what was going through Bogdanovich's head, but, you know, it was so 1950s, because I don't know if I've seen, um, well, from that era, I don't think there really was films, none to, of note to me where they were depicting the previous decades or the two decades before. It was made in 1971, and, but it felt like a 50s film. It felt like it would have been easily made in the 50s, completely in black and white, and everywhere you looked, there was like a gramophone record, all the kids going to a dance, all the teenagers, and they've all got their first cars and everything, and hanging out at the diner and all this stuff. It was so 1950s, which was, you know, that you got to really praise the the production for that, the way they, they depicted the 50s, I suppose, like the glamorous side of the 50s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, but what Bogdanovich did quite well, I mean, it was, um, it was getting a bit predictable, but he did gradually build the tension. You felt like something really foreboding was coming at the end. And I felt like people were going to die or something like that. And well, it didn't, wasn't quite as explosive as I thought. It, it was good though. I think, I think the films, um, got a bit of a cult following and it's, it's got quite a good reputation from what I've heard. Okay. I'll need to, need to check that one out at some point <laughs> whenever I can actually do that with everything else. So been adding to my list of things to do <laughs> and see. But uh, that's your, your, your main film then for, for this week that you've seen? I think so, yeah. I think so. Cool. Um, I've watched a few films. Uh, rewatched mostly. Um, first one, Gordon, this is obviously... We've covered this, these to death because there's an entire series of them, but I've been rewatching my bonus feature DVDs. Uh, of the Bond films, I've I, because I hadn't seen it in a while. I wanted to just watch the the Living Daylights without the commentary, but I've actually mm-hmm. watched some of it with the commentary as well. Um, man, I, I love that film. <laughs> Great film. Yeah, um, it's one of the most. I think it's one of the most underrated Bond films. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's actually quite. I think I think it's quite critically viewed as one of the high the high points of the series. Mm-hmm. Now that time has passed and we're able to reflect on. On the on the films, I think a lot of people feel that Dalton's films are actually. I mean, they didn't do it as well at the time, especially *License to Kill*, considering because it was a higher rating in terms of it was a fifteen or whatever when it came out, mm-hmm. and all that. We talked we talked on the podcast. I won't go into it, but there was big summer releases around then, so it was c- competitive with in nineteen eighty nine with loads of big summer films. But *Living Daylights*, um, although the one gripe I still have with it, and it became more obvious on my second watch of it. The last act is incredibly plodding, like the the Afghanistan stuff. I never noticed it so much before, but when I thought about it, I thought my attention did waver, and it's always around that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really overly plotted. Like there's there's so much going on. There's a bomb. There's diamonds. There's you know um, this sort of like there's there's Kara and you've got he's trying to protect her then she's trying to save Bond and it's just everyone's act it kind of loses sight of the villains and then and, and then you've got also the plane fight and the plane the bomb defuse the bomb then stop the plane from crashing escape the plane there's so much going on it kind of like became a bit messy considering that and it's only highlighted because the first two thirds of that film are fucking I think some of the best Bond yeah. we've ever seen that Dalton's yeah. portrayal. And the style of like John Glenn went for with that film, considering he did the front, the three films before that, it's a major st- style change up. And um, when you think of Octopussy to The Living Daylights, like <clears throat> within a few years, so I, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a shame because I think Necros is a cool ass villain as well. I really like, lo- I really do like Necros, and I love the the gimmick of like he's got his own theme song. 
it's such an eighties <laughs> villain. Like it's brilliant. Like um anyways, we've got an entire podcast about it, so I'll, you know, not reiterate most of that. But um the other thing so is well, a, yeah, I think another another uh, it's a song that always gets forgotten was, as well. I, I was about to say, I was hoping you were gonna give us a wee rendition, Scott, because you're good with the coming in um, with the the living daylights. You need to do the bit, the high bit before that, and then ah, I'll. We'll, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, where I'm even fair way is everybody gone. Uh, ah, yeah. That, is that pretenders? Not the, is it the, 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 the pretenders? Yep. Where has everybody, everybody gone? gone. That's, right. is, that, is that what you mean by Necros's theme? Uh-huh. He's listened yeah, like, to it on his own. About four different times, he's about to commit an assassination. <laughs> and you just hear the music coming in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an entrance music to wrestling or something. <laughs> I like how you, you, you guys picked up on that. I, because I've never really, um, I love no one had ever mentioned that to me. But see that pre-title sequence as well. That is real top tier Bond. Yeah, that's vintage and, Bond right there. So what what was that? Is it? Yeah, is it? He's, he's on the, the top. Is he on the top of the it's car? It's a training mission. And then the, the, the different double the different double O's are all doing the training mission. They all oh, land from parachutes yeah. into this parachutes, cliff side. Yeah. And then the assassination, this guy the guy tries to start taking them out. And then yeah, yeah, Dalton actually did that. I don't know if we we you probably I think you did mention it on our podcast, Gordon. But Dalton actually did that stunt on top of the, the speeding um van Jeep, yeah. Jeep, yeah. And a really tight Mountainside yeah. that one of the stuntmen didn't want to do. That's insane. I um, Dalton was well up for that yeah. case. See what before uh, to, before we close off bonds just briefly. Uh, my mum's friend Irene was visiting because I'm down with my mum and dad's again, and she mentioned bonds. And when somebody mentions to you, just brings up bonds. You think they're going to mention a film? You think it's going to be Goldfinger? It's going to be Spiral of Me? Aye. Casino Royale? Guess what film she mentions? Mm, for your eyes only. It's also to give just Irene if you listen to. <laughs> As promised, I mentioned in our podcast on Capiche. I know, um, never say never again. Oh, Jesus. I mean, come on. Her son is with <sighs> whether, um, whether Kim Basinger is the best Bond girl. And then, first of all, does she actually qualify as a Bond girl because she wasn't in an official film? And then she turned around and said, Sean Connery's great in that film. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but it's, just, it's interesting how those... I don't know. If, I'm not sure if it's a favourite film, but there is a, a Bond film for everyone in it. I suppose it's it's refreshing to just hear somebody mention not one of the, the token ones like Goldfinger or, you know, something like Live and Let Die, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And fair enough, you know, you've got your tastes, you know. We're not going to... We're not going to criticise too much, but that's the only film I've ever given a one-star review to. Um, (laughs) I'm usually very lenient with films. I usually tend to at least acknowledge where some craft has pulled it out. You know, the set design was good. Give it an extra star. But anyways, very quickly finishing on Bond, just watching the bonus features and all the the Dalton interviews and documentaries. He's such a serious guy. I can see why at the time the press were quite hard on him because they were obviously coming off the back of Roger Moore. And then there's all these kind of press conference interviews. It's like, let's meet the new James Bond. And all the cast are all kind of smiley and they're all sitting at this panel. But Dalton, I mean, it's a credit to him. He's so, he takes it so seriously. He is like, this this is the I'm gonna make sure this work is fantastic. It's a team performance and all this kind of stuff. He's got I love his ethos, but the press obviously were like, huh. And I think he's he's so introverted as well. He's not a very kind of 
showy guy. So he's mm-hmm. given all these kind of answers that are very serious and introspective and kind of, and you can see why maybe there was a sort of like hubbub around that. And it's like, oh, is this really right for Bond? But obviously the film spoke for itself. His performance spoke for itself. I love it. Um, Did I send you guys the, the YouTube link? It was a short scene from Penny Dreadful of Dalton down on the firing range at the target practice with one of the, the women from that. It was like an older Bond. He's like hitting the, he's some old style rifle. They're having a chat, him and him and this woman. I don't I never really watched the series, but and he's hitting the bullseye. I just thought that's like that's just an older Bond, really. That's him from <laughs> no. the, the sniper scene at the start of Loving Daylights. Don't it's it's hard for me to watch that and think that is not an older Bond. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think you've sent it. Um, I mean, I think you and Steve, I can't remember who rated Loving Guys the highest. One of you guys. I gave it, I gave it a five. I gave them, I gave them both fives. Um, I mean, when I think back, I still think maybe I'm very, I'm very, I, I think it's really probably a four and a half. You have to take marks off for the, for the third act. But anyways, <clears> my feeling of that film, I still get an ultra high from the first two thirds of it that I was willing to give it the full five because I, I Steve, love the stance. There's no such thing as a half star. Uh, well, we, we started introducing them for the, for the project. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. Well, There's no I, such I, thing I, as a half star. star. It's either a four or a five. Or right, a everyone, everyone go back and we'll review every single <laughs> film again. Well, remember, that was my fault. I'll take responsibility. <laughs> oh, Brad, I kind of forced it in. Cool. I think it was the second or third film. I was like, you know what? Fuck it, we're doing half stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fran, Fran wanted it as well. Fran wanted it as because well because it said... is hard to, to view a project and just we're either giving them all threes and fours really, and there's the odd five. But I kind of yeah, I'm fine with it. I think if in my heart it would be a four and a half, but I'm, because I don't do halves as much, it went up to five. Anyways, lastly on Bond, um, because we have an entire series on them. By the way, go and check them out on the uh, could be SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, the I've been reading Live and Let Die, and uh, I'm about nearly halfway through it now. Um, I'm enjoying it, but man, I, I remember you gave me a heads up, Gordon, back in the very first podcast. We spoke about the language that Fleming uses, kind of um, Live and Let Die, obviously written in 1952, different time. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he's uh, let's let's put it, you know let's not beat about the bush. It's a pretty fucking racist book, <laughs> like. <laughs> It is some, I mean, one of the chapter names is just like, wow, okay, we're going there, right, okay, N-word right there, yep. Uh, it's uh, pretty much the way he re- references any black character is with the N-word, um, <clears throat> in, a, in a sense, it's not that one, but it's similar. Um, so yeah, it's, and it, yeah, there's a few references to other things, it's just all very, you're like, oh wow, okay, that's okay. That wouldn't that wouldn't be printed. No, that wouldn't be printed now. But um, aside from that, I'm enjoying it. Um, I think I'm even enjoy it more than Casino Royale. Casino Royale, I did find mostly that I liked, but it was very plodding. It was very. It gets into his details so much about describing the the casino and the the poker, the, the chips and things like that. It, it kind of lost you a wee bit. But this one. Yeah. The, the flavour of Harlem and stuff like that kind of enjoying so we'll see where it goes but yeah see Love and Light Die um, I've, that's one of the ones I've not read and I've heard that there's more than more than one scene from other Bond films that were taken from Love and Light Die like in fact I won't mention them to you because I don't even know what bit in the, the book they're in but have you see reading it so far have you have you noticed any bits that have maybe been uh, translated to the 
it's, other films. I, it's, it, I haven't noticed a specific bit as such, but it definitely feels more like one of the Moore era Bond films. Not and then mostly, obviously, Live and Let Die. Um, like, um, there was a cool section in the book that the like Bond is sitting with Felix Leiter in this kind of pub. But it's set up from another chapter. You know that they're being watched by all of um, Mister Big's men, so they're actually kind of yeah. you, there's an era, there's a feeling of like nervousness for Bond because yeah. you know that actually they're and they kind of know it, but they're a bit more relaxed. They've been drinking all night, and then um, there's like a performance happening, and these guys are playing, and then they introduce this girl. She's dancing and she's stripping. It's it. Yeah. Fleming kind of describes this intensity. Everyone's sweating. It's like because yeah. they're waiting for her to undress and all this kind of stuff. And right at the point she's about to fully undress, the lights go out, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden Bond just feels a wee bit of a rush of air. And the I knew what was happening when he's describing it, but it was obviously like they've taken it, but it's much more comedic in the film. Obviously, the floor drops down. And they end up switching down, yeah. and obviously he's in a room. And the lights come back up, and just Mister Big standing there, sort of thing. But it was kind of cool the way mm-hmm. they obviously taken it, and they've done it in a comedic way. Where in, in the film Living Let Die, every seat Bond sits in is some sort of trap door that switches <laughs> to like sw- a, a room that swivels round, a floor that comes down. <laughs> I mean, they should have went for a third one. There was a sky one as well. Like they might as well have gone. Because yeah, reading it like uh, there's a couple of key scenes and maybe well, just I'll just say other Bond films that you probably will probably um, become quite obvious to. You. It must be because like I said, I've not read that. I think actually I've maybe the first couple. I was waiting, of you've not read Casino Royale, have you? I could give you a loan of it the, if you want. I well, at some point. I mean, the, on, the only flame ones I think I've read the whole of are. Doctor No, Goldfinger, Thunderball, think maybe Moonraker, at least some of that. But <laughs> one thing I like is, I mean, you know, Bond, they were written in the 50s, I suppose. Bond smokes a lot and drinks a lot. See the star of Goldfinger, he gets absolutely hammered him. And it was a guy called Mr. Dupont, but I kept, I kept thinking, you know, the guy he meets in the bar in the pre title sequence, I kept thinking it was, he was maybe based on him. But the two of them just get absolutely hammered. It's like, Every few minutes, it says like Bond ordered another. It was like bourbon or something like that. Mm. And and every Bond book, every Fleming book, it's all every few senses. It's just like Bond lit another Chesterfield as soon as he has a cigarette. <laughs> he has another one. He's just every, he's just smoking all the time, drinking all the time. Sounds like a good life. Yeah, I was watching the bonus feature on Living Daylight since about there's a big forty five minute documentary on Ian Fleming. Um, and he kind of comes across quite... I mean, I already knew he was a snob, but bloody hell, he's, yeah, he's, a, he is a, snob, he's a complete snob. Um, yeah, he's a womanizer as well, but he also, um, like, he clearly, he kind of, em- Bond was his, like, he wanted to be Bond, like, that's, you could certainly, hear, like, everyone sort of said that about him, like, he kind of envisioned the, the freedom that Bond had, he, he kind of wished he yeah. had that. But it's good. It's fun. I'm enjoying actually reading it. It's, I'm I'm reading through it quicker than I read Casino Royale, so that says something. So that's my Bond part of this up. Um, what else have we watched? Aliens revisit one of my favourite films. Uh, <coughs> we went to. Uh, so I'm not sure if this will be judged too hardly. We actually went to me and my friend went to the cinema to watch it at the showcase. It's reopened and they've had. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh oh. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I see a COVID yet. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me just defend myself here, right? <laughs> it was a small cinema. The showcase uh, is... I've cancelled my Cineworld. Um, but um, they've redone it up. It's fantastic, luxurious. Reclining seats, all this kind of stuff. And they just opened and they've got like about essentially eight people in a, in a screen and you're separated by about three, three rows. Um, so Did you have to wear a mask the whole time? Just going in, just going in and then going ah, back right, out. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah that, I wouldn't have done that if I was... No. You know. right. But uh, yeah, so and I wasn't going to go for any other film, but there was two films that were shown and I wanted to see the other one as well, but my mate had already seen that, it was Jurassic Park. But um, Aliens, I don't care, I'm going to see Aliens pandemic or not no i'm kidding on that that's a, <laughs> i wouldn't joke about that <laughs> was it the uh, was it the original theatrical uh, or was it, the o- it was theatrical and as much as oh. i love the director's cut because there's a fantastic bunch of scenes in that that yeah. actually it makes sense to show the theatrical especially for people that may yeah. not have seen the film jack hadn't seen it in years the theatrical the director's cut ruins stuff that has like the alien up front at the very first scene and things like mm-hmm. that and and it it changes it kind of the viewing a wee bit the theatrical cut is just amazing. Oh, cinema bliss. Um, so that was fun. And I watched something else. Oh, yes. Continuing in our MCU um, rewatching with Anne, we watched um, one of my favorite, my, my favorite Marvel film, Inv- Infinity War, which was an absolute fantastic viewing for me. Less so for her as I thought. She's not as keen on the big Avengers films. She did, It got really computer gamey, as she described it. The, the I could actually see what she was talking about. There's a hell of a lot of CG. It's it's nearly all yeah. like CG um, battles and stuff like that because shit shit happens in that film. But um, mm-hmm. I was loving it. She liked most. I mean, she enjoyed it. Of course, I'm trying to speak quietly in case she is in the other room. I don't think she is. Um, actually, I won't because you guys haven't seen it. I won't spoil it then. But there's a major thing happens in that film that. Um, actually, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Steve, yeah, Steve. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll actually just leave it completely at that. A major thing happens. A major thing happens in a film, right? Okay. Yeah, that's, 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 so it's about a bunch of superheroes and yeah. they all do superhero shit. Yeah, right? yeah. That's, it. that's the the spoiler review right there. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was fun. Ah, I love it. It's a fantastic film. Uh, yeah, Steve, have you? So, uh, yeah, sorry. I was going to. I was going to say, Steve. So. Because I, I remember, did you not say Winter Soldier was your favourite? No, no, no. Um, Infinity War has always been my favourite. Always since been I watched the Infinity it. War. Uh, it's the that Infinity War Endgame, and then Winter Soldier sprung up from nowhere. Because I remember watching it back, and I didn't know, know the Marvel films, hmm. and it suddenly rewatching it, I was like, "Wow, this film's incredible!" So that shot up to like third or fourth. Um, but the first Infinity War and Endgame, and probably the first Avengers film, are probably one, two, and three for me. Guys, mm. uh, crank, crank films. Yeah. Crank films. Yep. The Russo brothers; those are directors, man. They did those two films plus Winter Soldier and Civil War. Probably four of the best Marvel films, and all four of them directed by them. Yeah. Uh, incredible. Steve, coming back to you. Did you say you've got more? You've watched. Um, yeah, a few bits and pieces. One I ended up actually watching this afternoon on my day off uh, was Pulp. The what's it? Full title: Pulp: A Story of Life, Death, and Supermarkets. <laughs> so it's it's a uh, um, documentary. Basically, it's 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 the band Pulp. Yeah. And it's sort of filmed around their their last ever UK gig, which was a homecoming gig for them. They played it in Sheffield, and it's interesting because it's it's not actually about. As much as it's based around their last gig and it shows most of the gig itself and 
a lot of the sort of chat with the band members is around clips of the gig, but it's more, if anything, of a sort of love story to Sheffield. And it, you don't really find out anything about the band, which I was I was kind of hoping there'd be more of an insight to kind of their history. Obviously, they've been gone since the 19, sort of early 80s. You don't realise this, but they've been gone for that long. Yeah. Um, but it was, as a film, um, almost stylistically, it's really interesting how they've managed to take a sort of very industrial, urban, not particularly pretty city like Sheffield and make it look somewhere that's really sort of warm and welcoming. They they go, they basically spend a couple of days in the streets, like the main high street, going around the estates of Sheffield and sort of just speaking to random people, mostly sort of punters who are going to the gig and they talk about their love of the band and how they relate to so much to their, their home city and stuff like that. But taking a kind of very sort of brutal urban environment and making it look really stylish, I thought was just a sort of fantastic piece of... I appreciate sort of good camera work and good sort of uh, compositions and stuff like that, particularly when you're taking something that's typically dull like architecture. And they're sort of filming in these sort of really run-down sort of shopping centres and stuff like that. Uh, somewhere, I think it's Jarvis Cocker used to work there as a 16-year-old before he formed the band. Um, and they're talking to kind of butchers and fishmongers and stuff like that, and old ladies on the street who knew them. And then you've got kind of kids at their front door who are running about on a kind of estate. Um, it was just, it was a really, it, it was a fantastic looking film. Um, I didn't quite, I didn't get as much out of it as I hoped I would. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Pulp. I do enjoy their stuff. When was that that um, came out? Was it 2013 or something? I feel like I've 20... read a Twitter read a review about it, and I feel like that was one of the main criticisms I remember from it. Yeah, it was 2014. Ah, I think it was, yeah, August 2014. Yeah, because yeah. they did a kind of, they, they stopped performing in 2002, 2003, and then came back for this one sort of tour that ended in their hometown. It seems horribly and, advertised or marketed in terms of the name. Like, that would be misleading. Yeah. Like, that it's, seems like that's the issue, isn't it? Should it yeah, be Sheffield exactly. with a bit of pulp? <laughs> that's that's literally what it is Sheffield with some gig footage and a lot of sort of old ladies yeah I mean um, it probably wouldn't sell as many tickets but that's more accurate true <laughs> see music um, documentaries they can be sometimes you don't really know what to expect a lot of the producers seem to be trying to do really radical things you know there's a few I've watched that it surprises me but I mean sometimes you get quite weird things I heard there was some although I've not seen it there was some kind of documentary about the band The Feeling and it was bizarrely narrated by Kiefer Sutherland <laughs> that rings a bit weirdly but I think the issue there might be I think that might be down to Spinal Tap because I think the worry that people making genuine music documentaries have is that they might accidentally fall into <laughs> the, the sort yeah. of Spinal Tap um, I mean, Spinal Tap is hilarious, but it's not what you want from a serious music document. So I think they kind of have to think outside the box and come up with these new ways of making and filming and rating them. Is so Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. is Kiefer Sutherland not like a manager of a band, or was? I thought he, well, he's certainly a musician. He's played gigs himself. He's played one in Glasgow, but you might be right, Scott, because yeah. I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing that he would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the spinal tap thing, I feel like some kind of monster treads that line very like. Yes. I feel like Metallica did not come across well in that. Um, it's a fascinating film, but if you're a big fan of Metallica, it's a wee bit of a 
Uh, it's not the greatest showing of the of the band. I mean, yeah. you get to see the human side, I suppose, but sometimes you you don't want that. <laughs> weirdly, no, all the tantrums that if yeah. it was a uh, yeah, a lot of that you kind of go, oh, I, I prefer just watching them play guitar. And yeah. you kind of see how sort of <laughs> massive their egos are. I mean, if you're hyped up like that, then that's going to happen to you, I suppose. Yeah. So much give it that much attention. Yeah. I mean, the so much as some kind of monster, just like James versus Lars, really, the battle between yeah. them for three years. But another, I don't know if this quite qualifies a music documentary, but I was watching quite a bit of There's an Oasis. It's basically Time Flies, but the DVD version, which is like their greatest hits. It's mm-hmm. got every one of their music videos in. But you can watch them alternatively with Noel Gallagher doing an audio commentary. Oh, it's I've quite seen funny. a YouTube video of his commentary. Some of it's hilarious. hilarious. No, I mean, yes. Because like almost every every video it's just like him looking back and cringing saying I, I don't know what we were fucking thinking there <laughs> look at that it's a big phone box where the fuck did that come from you know every video it's, it's, it's the big shirts he's always like look at the fucking songs of his shirt <laughs> I didn't know No Gallagher was from Aberdeen Aye, well that's where, where that's where he's from that's where he's fucking from right he's from Aberdeen <laughs> didn't you know that <laughs> uh, no but um it's a great shout, Gordon, and actually one of the most recent, and Steve, I know you uh, uh, love it as well, but the Supersonic documentary yeah. of Oasis, the style and how that was done where you don't, you never see uh, Liam Gallagher or Noel Gallagher speaking, you just hear them, but it's all done over old footage and over old videos and yeah. stylistically and the humour and the tone, uh, it's hilarious. It's yeah. actually hilarious to watch. It was my favourite film of 2016, I think that came out. Yeah. Um, Loved it, absolutely loved it. Although I was, I think I was so biased because I'm a massive Oasis fan from back in the day. But um, I was going to love it anyway, I think. But yeah, it, it met my expectations. I was really hundred percent fantastic. Right. I think their best DVD though is the um, that would be the tenth anniversary of Definitely Maybe. It's a documentary, but it's got a lot of live footage and music videos as well. But mm-hmm. it's just, I love the style of it. I've watched it again, and again, and again. Um, and yeah, no only in Gallagher are hilarious to listen to, as you'd expect. Aye, aye. No, no, especially is hilarious. No, Liam definitely has his moments, but no. Back in the day, I don't find him as funny now, I think, as he's gotten older. It's the same shtick, really, but his earlier <laughs> stuff, when it was a bit raw, when he was younger, <laughs> it's it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, so, so what, sorry, the pulp thing, Steve, coming back to that, um, not quite, obviously... If you're a massive fan of pulp, you would be disappointed. Yeah, potentially. If you, I mean, if you're a huge fan, it's. I mean, it's fantastic watching. I think just watching a band's last gig is always there's always something slightly iconic about that. It's like the shots of um, there's various films of uh, David Bowie where he's got that final film, final gig at the Hammersmith Apollo, and he announces on the stage that the band's breaking up and the band don't actually know about it. So in that kind of comparison, watching them live is always just fascinating. Yeah. Um, but if you if you wanted if you're watching it and expecting to find out anything about the band themselves <laughs> or anything even slightly personal, you just don't. You, you they speak to all the band members and you see kind of what they're doing now. Because um, Jarvis is the only famous of the others, you wouldn't recognise him if you walk past them. One guy mm-hmm. runs uh, a women's football team. Um, the candidate the um, keyboard player. Turns out she had chronic arthritis, which actually explains because I've always I've I've seen old pop performances, and I've always thought the keyboard playing looked a little bit kind of not quite simplistic, but 
there was always something sort of odd and staccato about the way it was played. Mm-hmm. And it's because she's got arthritis so like, in her hands. So mm-hmm. actually physically playing that instrument is almost painful. That was so probably that was, that... worse for back then as well. I mean, I'm guessing medication might not have been as quite as good as well for that. I know that it's, it's a lot better for some people now if they catch it early and stuff like that. I mean, I have arthritis, but yeah. I don't have to play keyboard, thankfully. Ah, well, yeah. Bono wears sunglasses, not because he wants to look cool, but because he's got glaucoma. So there's a lot of these mm. things that you wouldn't you wouldn't think at first <clears throat> glance. I would also I know, say... I think, with, I think with Bono, I think it's kind of half and half. I kind of think he wears the sunglasses to look a wee bit cool. Is it the Edgar David style thing where it's like it was for that, but now it's just my, it's my gimmick and I'm going to wear them? He, he probably he probably got some kind of prescription ones and he's just went, listen, I'm the lead singer of you two. I can't wear them. You know what I mean? Uh, what, about, what about skiing glasses, skiing shades? I will go with that. Right, perfect, Harry Potter. Absolutely. Glasses Absolutely. I would also note while we're on the subject of pulp, um, Jarvis Cocker did a cover. No, well, no, it wasn't him solo. Actually, it was the whole band pulp, a cover of Octopussy. But um, <laughs> nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really recommend it. But <laughs> seeing as we do our our Bond podcast, maybe worth checking out. I'm gonna look that up. They... All time high. Sorry, the the name of the song. Oh, so they did a was it Carly Simon's song? No, that's Carly's um, Spy Who Loved Me. Who did, who did uh... College that one was. Ah, right. I got to say, Octopus is one of my least favorite Bond ones. I think it kind of boring. All no, time no, 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 no. Let me retract that statement. I, I was will wrong. defend Octopussy to the hilt. I'm like, a defender. On, on a ranking episode, there's Gordon, a euphemism in there somewhere. We're obviously going to have to fight this one out on the ranking episode for the music <laughs> choice um, because. That one's obviously going to be one of the ones up for a fight. Uh, right, okay, I think we are done then. As there, uh, not, Nobody has anything else they've been watching you want to finish off with. Otherwise, I'll just tell a story that Fran told me that I found hilarious just because it's Fran. Essentially, he was talking to a friend and he was telling her uh, today on the phone that he had he got his hair cut to sort of fix the sides and things like that, trying to get it what it used to be like because it's obviously st- really short these days. And... So she was like, oh, can you send me a picture? So he just went like that in his WhatsApp, sent the picture, and then realised straight after he sent it that he didn't send it to her, he sent it to his landlord, which uh, <laughs> which I found hilarious just because the landlord has not met Fran and <laughs> all they've been talking about is bills and sorting out the heating and things like that. And Fran said, he said, he said it was like a pure posery, like kind of trying to get himself looking really good. With no context, just sent a picture to the landlord and then had a mad panic when he realised but uh, yeah, I found that. So it's always good to. It comes down fifty quid, then. Yeah. <laughs> bonus. Exactly. He's lucky it was just that. He's lucky it was just a selfie and not anything uh, more stuff uh, that we'd that, expect from Mister Murphy. That was uh, uh, that. Also was what he said. I think. <laughs> but yeah, okay, we are done for today. Thanks, guys, for joining me. We'll be back next week and we'll also at some point get our Skyfall uh, Bond podcast sorted. Um, I need to find a break between the Formula One viewings. But yeah, thanks guys. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Ta-ta.
press record. Hey, sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> what were you saying there, Gordon? Too, <laughs> too hard to remember. Um, yeah, one of these ones I don't remember a lot of. There was some kind of event on, and again, you were in Dunoon, because somehow... there must <laughs> trying be to tell me something here. Because you were in Dunoon twice, I think, and it was like the, ga- the old garage. Again, there's a garage involved at a petrol station. The old garage where my dad used to hire cars from. It's closed now. Like you were there, and there was all these other people and we're preparing for some big event, but I, I can't for the life of me think what it was, but I, I had a camera and I'd lost it, and I was in this garage, and I, could, I was like frantically searching for it, and I think there was a giant involved somewhere as well, like... <laughs> Just casually throwing out a giant. giant. <laughs> wow. Okay, all right. But, uh, that's not one of the ones... That, and there was... I think I told you about the one where I borrowed George Lazenby's car, didn't I? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I don't think we had it on a podcast unless it's one that I've still to edit, but um, sure, now we do. You've borrowed George Lazenby's car. <clears throat> Was it young Bond George Lazenby or old man George Lazenby? <laughs> nah, old man George Lazenby. Oh, that's less. I don't less... know if he'd gone vacation or something, but. So you really just... What was he driving? I can't even remember. I don't want to I don't want to ever start fictionalizing my dreams about just to make them sound cooler, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be like as exact as possible. The, the, no, I was. I I was like in walking around outside in someone's garden, and I was still I still and I like parked his car, and I, but for some reason that I had a duvet around me, I suddenly became aware like it was as though I was still in bed, but I was walking around, and then I had to kind of like there was a huge jump, I had to like jump from some tree down to I don't know if it was that part of the the octopus this Tarzan scene coming out or something like that. It's just <laughs> weird, just. Bizarre. Sorry, God. I was uh, going to say, have you have you ever had a dream where you're doing like, so say for example, I, I've dreamt once where I've just been uh, doing the toilet or doing a piss. Oh wow, nice. Consi- like, consi- for, it feels as if I'm pissing for for hours. Yeah. <laughs> in the dream, and then I wake up and I am absolutely bursting for a piss. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, almost as if it's like, my God. And obviously, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I certainly have wet dreams, and obviously that's something oh, that's that cannot good. stop. Oh, that's good. We are still recording. This is fantastic. <laughs> you have to be honest. You, you cannot back. <laughs> oh, pee dreams are the most petrifying form of dream. Because it's like, it's aye. the relief followed by that, oh, fuck, I'm still oh, in fuck. bed. Aye, aye, aye. Absolutely. It's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I, I remember a dream as well where I, I, in the dream I was just, and I think in the dream I was lying in my bed in the darkness but screaming as loud as I can. And I actually think I woke up screaming as loud as I can. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like you might need to go to counselling or something. Because see when, see when I woke up, uh, I, I obviously woke up and when I woke up I stopped screaming, but I could hear the room with the echo of the room with my scream that I'd just finished screaming. <laughs> Is it a childhood what, what? trauma that might have been trig- triggered? I don't know, no, but no. honestly, it's like some people's dreams. I mean, Gordon's dreams there. I mean, I think psychologists could write yeah. you know, books uh, for years about these kind of things. You know what I mean? Apparently, in your dreams, there is there is sort of some kind of subcontext to dreams. Like, for example, say, for example, you're talking. Like a, a giant, and it's you and Steve in a garage in Dunin. I guarantee somebody could say, "Yeah, well, that means that you're hungry, Gordon." <laughs> I know, I know. That's why I said that was was like Doctor Melfi from The Sopranos. The way he was he was trying to make sense of it is because when Tony had a 
a dream she was all saying yeah but the reason you're having that dream is because inside you feel this way about, Aye, about yeah. Christopher mm-hmm. or something like that it's like that I don't know I, I told Steve Barry because I, I didn't know how much of my dream material he wanted in the podcast so I told him on a phone call about a funny one involving Pierce Brosnan but I'll tell you guys since so you didn't hear it I was well first of all I was like kind of had two parts, both of which were in a supermarket. It was, I think it was a Tesco, a big Tesco, and there was all this noise, and there was just a stampede of fighting football fans. And But although it was in Tesco, I think it was Ajax. And, no, no, it was like, I think it was Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, or whoever Bayern Munich's um, like, rivals are. And I was like having to move out of the way. And then the I was selling the supermarkets kind of quieting down. And I've got Pierce Brosnan on the phone. And all of a sudden, inexplicably, I'm his agent. And I'm saying to him, right, so you can be in this film, Pierce, but you're going to have to dye your hair black. <laughs> and he seemed really stunned. You, you, I don't know, you might... even know what that's like, even got to do with I think we need to wean you Football off Bond fans. a little. We, I think yeah, we need to. Yeah. I think, I guys, let's um, let's have an intervention here, okay? I think <laughs> we uh, we need to we need to tell Gordon. I think the Bond thing is getting a bit extreme now. There, any all of the Bonds are happening in his dreams. Aye, aye. I, that's the thing. I mean, well, well, over the years, every Bond actor has appeared in my dreams. In fact, probably most of the villains have appeared in my dreams <laughs> as well. But I mean, recently we've had obviously Lazenby, Brosnan. Um, the others have, def- have definitely dreams involved in all of them. Um, oh. Certain Bond women as well. Obviously. Oh, okay, we don't need to. Oh, hello, hello. <laughs> hello. This is the this is the X-rated capiche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to know those ones, but <laughs> tell us more, Gordon. Tell us more. We don't need to know. Well. We don't need to know about, more any more about their wet dreams. Uh, but yeah, that'll uh, I'll maybe stop recording now. So that's an extra <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> that may or may not get used. I may have to edit uh, all the the chat about um, wet dreams and as such, but we'll see. <laughs> no, well, I never. I think someone else said something about having those sort of dreams. I don't. I don't think I actually. Um, <laughs> I officially did not say this for the podcast. <laughs> I did not confirm anything like that. Uh, I did. Uh, Scott, did you notice? Have you, did you listen, uh, Scott, did not you sure. listen to the the podcast I put up? The, the last one I put up, did you listen to it? Uh, not yet, no. All oh, right, okay. There's a section that was edited because um, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have everything that was, that was uh, the best gore stuff essentially. Uh, do you know what? See when you see when you say that, actually, you'll listen to it and hopefully you're, you're okay with it. But let, let me know if you're not, and I'll edit it uh, again. Ah, uh, just uh, when you seen when I seen the best gore thing, I was like, oh fuck, I forgot we talked about that. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, I've had loads of moments like that when listening back to just about every podcast with <laughs> you know what here do you remember in Ghostbusters the first one there's a bit where um where Ray is at dream there's a ghost I think it's a female ghost starts unzipping his trousers aye Flacio, I mean, that's pretty much insinuating he's getting a. Yeah, you read into it more. Yeah, it's not reading into it. That's what's happening. <laughs> I mean, what what else did you think was happening? He just woke up very happy. <laughs> no, I'm saying it, but it starts. The the ghost starts unzipping his trousers, then it disappears. Though, so I'm not saying it actually gets that far. Does it? Uh, I think I would say but that's... I remember. Uh, I think oh, that's, right, that's no, hold on, right, yeah, his reaction, right, yeah. Aye, like, it then cuts to his reaction, and it's... Yeah, he's a very pleased man. Now, <laughs> like, uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> which, obviously, a kid's probably just for, like, didn't get it, probably. Which is, I don't know, who knows if that was over their heads or not. 
I, I don't. I think I was. I was kind of like. I don't know what's happening there. <laughs> but that was only a week ago. Um, 